0: everyone, welcome back to an all new episode of the 20% podcast. This is a show where we bring you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you could implement in your current job today. This week's guest is on his second appearance of the 20% podcast. His first appearance was August of last year, which feels like yesterday. Um, During during that former conversation, which I will link in the show notes as well, we talked about solving problems that nobody wants to solve, the the impact that your parents provide on you, doing the right thing over time consistently, not wrapping yourself up in uh, in the identity of just achieving goals, which is a massive one, in my opinion, um, in, in a number of other things. Um, but since we last spoke, he had founded a new company called cle Acquire, short for Client Acquire, uh, which, which he had let me know. Um, it's essentially the Robin Hood for outbound sales operations, where um, this week's guest helps prospects Uh, or helps people to speak their prospects language, um, which he also calls message market fit, which we're about to jump into. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming my friend, Kellen Casebeer back to the 20%
1: podcast. What's going on, my friend? It's great to be back, dude. Awesome to see you. I appreciate that intro.
0: Yes, I'd love it. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was just catching up with with, um, Kellen. It's so nice to see him face to face or whatever that version is now. Um, you know, Kelly and I uh been friends since since that com- conversation and have do like the walk in talks, talking strategy and talking all of these crazy business ideas and, and GTM and family and all of that stuff. But it's really exciting to be able to share some of his journey over the past year as well. Um, so we dove into his background, as I mentioned in the intro, um, uh, in the last conversation we had. So we'll save some of that. But first and foremost, before we jump in, Kellen. When I was reading back that intro, um based upon the conversation we had a little over a year ago, any big lessons that we we talked about during that time that have come up or that have played a big impact over uh, over the past year for you as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um it's funny because as you as you're reading those back, the one that stood out is do, solving hard problems that no one wants to solve. Right? And so about 5 5 and some change months ago, I started my business client acquire and basically with our business, we help people develop outbound sales functions, right? Typically, we're doing that via cold email. And in the spirit of solving things other people don't want to solve, in the, in the space of people to do cold outbound email as a service, there's sort of a strong dividing line between two types of companies. And I think I distinctly fall into one of them, right? And so the more common one that you see a lot of is what I consider a somewhat more transactional model, which isn't a bad thing. Those companies essentially specialize in taking an already established semblance of some sort of outbound motion and they can add fuel to it, right? They do more of it, they do it a little bit better, you know, more precision and like they they milk outcomes essentially. Companies need that, right? Companies want the meetings, they go create deals out of it. That's a beautiful thing, right? A lot of people want that. There's problem is those companies do not like to touch companies that have nothing yet, right? So this company's never sold outbound before, they don't have the case studies, they don't know what they're doing. Right, a lot of those uh, previous companies, their business model is not really a great fit to serve those people, and because their business model isn't a fit, because a lot of times it's sort of like a pay-per-performance, like low upfront cost type of situ- situation. Those people are not incentivized to work really hard to do this very difficult thing of that zero-to-one uh, sales motion, right? To it out from nothing what do- what can we do to have a repeatable outbound motion that books calls with our prospects. And so that's sort of what I've been doing. That's what stood out is my business. Like if I was to explain what my business does, say it's kind of that, which is working with companies who want to develop outbound sales motions, who know that they don't really have anything there yet, and know that they need to run some experiments in order to figure out what may be viable to either spin up a team around or to go get one of those more sort of volume based transactional shops to come throw fire on.
0: Now why is this one? Now why do you? I understand how hard this is as well. Of that's a problem that people don't want to touch, but. Why don't people want to touch it? And why was it so important to you to create a business around it?
1: Yeah, great question. So I think a lot of people don't. In Honestly, I'd almost say it's not that people don't want to touch it so much as the market doesn't like to pay for people to figure that out a lot of the time. And what I mean by that is the sentiment of a company who is going zero to one with outbound. A lot of times they are very confident. You know, we have great product market fit. It's going to be really easy. You just got to, you know, we got to find these types of people. We'll say this to them, and it's going to crush. You know, we close half of our inbound leads. We get healthy amount of referrals. You know, we're ready to go. And so what happens is a lot of times the buying side of the market has a lot of expectations, and they themselves are framing things very transactionally, right? I actually think they're the reason that those people are so transactional a lot of the time is the market's expectations is like, we'll pay this, we want this out of it, and that's that, right? The problem is that creates this incentive where people are either misrepresenting the confidence of what they can do, or almost being baited into taking deals where the sort of terms on both sides aren't that aligned. And so because of that, the lead gen industry as a whole, like has a terrible reputation, right? Everyone kind of scoffs and rolls their eyes, oh my God, another lead gen shop. And the reason is, there's a lot of PI... look, go in your in. everyone listening, I bet could go into their inbox, look at their spam, and they'll have people guaranteeing 10 to 20 meetings per month. Right. And that's just ridiculous. Because if some like crazy enterprise product, they've never done an outbound meeting before, it's like you're not they going no to have no clue do about that. the actual product. You, 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 it's yeah. like it's imposterous to even think about the, uh, making a claim of
0: guaranteeing anything when you know exactly. nothing about my business it's almost it's really ignorant outreach
1: honestly it, it is and and what they do is they say uh you know you only pay for the leads you get like all of these things to sort of lower the friction of saying yes to them you get people really hopeful it doesn't go anywhere and then these people start to think like outbound doesn't work cold email doesn't work these types of industry you know these types of businesses are a scam right and i and i think it's a deserved reputation Right. And so, what I saw though in the marketplace is I get the idea of like making more money by helping people that have something that work do more of it and taking a slice of that. Right. That's kind of like what an AE, you know, an AE and HubSpot is doing that. Right. Is like they're a piece of something that already works. What I know though is that companies that are on the brink of having something that works, it's like that is oftentimes a make or break for these founders, right. These businesses. And I identify as one of those people where. My, like, I do not have inherent quote unquote success via sitting around with my inbounds and referrals, right? That keeps the lights on, right? Keeps my family fed. But my aspirations are to have something much greater than that. And I know that helping others be able to develop that and grow their businesses from sort of this inbound sort of unpredictable reliant situation to something where they have some control over their growth and there's some predictability in what they're doing. To me, that changes those people's lives in a much more meaningful way than if I was to take them from, you know, 10 to 100, so to speak. Right, right. And I love that you're tying.
0: I I heard a little bit of that, like, personal family why into why you're actually doing things as well, which I think I know you're a family guy, and I think that was really important. Yeah. Um, now, talk about, um, you mentioned that a lot of the time, I think that this is more of a focused for this specific uh, example, but I think it's a bigger, we could take a step back and look at it from a wide angle, too. You mentioned that teams, are, there's a really bad reputation on these these lead gen teams or or the building the teams, or because they're really not aligned on some of the pr- the same proper expectations as, as you mentioned before. Um, how do we, why like how do we as sellers take a step back and try to rewrite what that wrong looks like, or, or why lead gen looks really bad um, to ultimately make it not so icky? Um, yeah. And ultimately, how do we get buyers? you know, because we can't always just conform to the buyer every single time because they don't know what they're buying some of the time, right? How, how do we kind of switch switch some of the paradigm of the buyer doesn't always have every single piece of control? And how do you ultimately tailor that to showing them like, hey, not calling your baby ugly,
1: but maybe here's a better option of doing it? 100%. So uh, almost every single one of my deals before they become a, a deal, I tell them, hey. Tyler, based on what you just explained to me, man, I I just think I'm a terrible fit and I do not think you're looking for what I do. And I'd be happy to refer you to some of the people that do similar, that sounds like more what you're after. And then typically what I'll do is I'll explain what I heard, right? And so to go back slightly, like my agenda for these calls is like, hey, I'm going to learn about, you know, where you're currently getting your business from, why you're interested in potentially doing outbound. Based on that, I'll share sort of how my company works in supporting people build outbound teams. And if it makes sense, we can talk about those next steps, right? And so once I'm doing my discovery, almost always, these people are going to be like, I need, I, you know, the word need triggers me, right? Like I need X amount of meetings per month, right? Or especially like if the time horizon is really short, like I need an ROI after two or three months, right? Things like that start to trigger me going, not that I can't do those things, right? Because I always tell them, I'm not saying I can't do these things. It's just, I'm not going to promise it. I can't promise it. Right? And so what I'll tell them is like, You have, hey, I'm hearing these expectations. Tyler, it sounds like if I wasn't to get you an ROI positive deal within three months, you would basically hate my guts. And so I don't think you should work with me because I can't promise that. And so I know some people who might be a little bit better fit for you to go pursue, but in terms of uh, people who are going to promise you something up front, you're just not going to get that from me in the same way, right? And nearly 100% of the time, the response to that is like, okay, so what is it that you do? Can you help me understand that, right? And that lets me go into my background, right? And so typically I'm telling them, uh, you know, in the year since you and I last spoke, like I spent a lot of that time building outbound sales teams as a consultant internally implanted into companies. And so at that time I was, you know, this companies were paying quite a lot of money, like multiple, you know, five figures to have our company working with them. And it was basically like an all chips on the table bet, right, they're gonna buy a tech stack, they're gonna buy us as like fractional consultants, they're going to get a rep or multiple reps. And this is before they've even tested anything, right? So it's like, yes, we're going to do this. They may allocate 150 grand to like a six month project to do this. And even in that same situation, just like me, with me just doing some cold emails, you don't know what's going to happen, right? And so what I saw was the make or break in those really big deals was still, do we have messaging that resonates with the market in a way that we can predictably book meetings? If you don't, then you have these reps sitting here, they're not ramping quick enough, they're not closing the deals, they're getting demoralized, they're not making how much money they want. The company can't afford to pay the base salary without, you know, the commission or like without the deals coming in. Um, So essentially, if you don't have some idea of a pre-working thing, just like these other lead gen companies won't want to work with you, you're not a good fit to go hire someone. The problem is a rep will try to convince you to hire them because they don't necessarily have the knowledge of all of this stuff. They probably haven't gone and built outbound teams before. So to them, they're like, oh, you want outbound deals? Like, I'll crush the phones. Let's do this, right? And so when I have these deals and I explain to them, hey, it sounds like you need something a lot faster than I can guarantee. It sounds like you need more certainty than I'm comfortable giving you. Almost always they go, okay, well, explain how you do it. And I'm just able to position back to that sort of story of, There's not a guarantee. All you can really do is hyper specifically segment markets, the people, like the personas in the markets, all of the pain points to those personas in those specific markets. And then we write campaigns so that each campaign is to a specific pain point to a person in a sub market, so that the outcomes of these campaigns help represent that market segment's attitude to that value driver. And so that way, rather than me saying, I guarantee I'm going to get you 10 meetings, it's like, I'm going to test your value props against your markets, and we're going to zero in on what resonates the best. And that is a relative measure, not an absolute. It's not 10. It's, it's you know it's going from zero to one, and then one to a few, few to a predictable amount, and kind of pulling on that thread. And so it's much more of an explorative sort of consulting engagement versus a transactional, I'm going to book these calls. And I think the willingness to tell this to these prospects and let them walk away. To me, that's the difference maker because it comes off as very confident and they're sort of like, Oh, like, what does this guy know? And why aren't they jumping at this? Since I'm basically telling them I want what I perceive them to be selling. Right. No, I love that.
0: I think it's your, to try to summarize that backward, it just sounds like you're, um, ultimately telling them how how it is versus what some of the the rosy colored glasses may be right you know we've all seen um you know i'm not just picking on technical founders but i am for this example right we've all seen situations where um you know people think that their product is the best thing that's ever going to happen and it's going to be so easy to sell but then get very frustrated with why it's not selling right so so how do you kind of really slow people down to some of that too because it's like to your point is a lot of people just want to pour gas on the fire but they don't know how to build an effective fire at first and it sounds like that's where that's where your message marketing fit comes into it as well talk to me a little bit more about um about some of that
1: yeah so it starts with a lot of segmentation on the front end so I, i typically tell our clients we probably segment your market better than you've ever seen any market segmented right we essentially come up with this like matrix that is what are all the markets you serve in each market? What are all of the personas that you might want to talk to? So like a founder of market A, B, C and D are completely different personas to us, right? As an example, it might be founder series B has no sales leader, doesn't have a sales background. That's different than founder series B doesn't have a sales leader, does have a sales background, right? The first one doesn't know sales strategy. The second one might And selling to those two persona types are different. And then each pain point is specific to that sub persona within the market and so what that comes like you might have four markets four personas each four pain points per persona and that's like uh you know i think that's like 64 like configurations of campaigns you could run in order to exhaust all of the pain points against all of the personas and so because of that it, it helps these people visualize it's not about deifying one message, it's about understanding the sentiment of the people you wanna say serve. And if you nail, if the message correlates, or like resonates, you know, if the message hits on something that they deeply care about, you're going to see these responses, even if they're not positive, right? You might start to draw some negative ones, but typically based on the way people engage with this, when you do enough sort of volume, not that we're just cranking volume for volume sake, but, like, you know, you run a campaign of 250 people, like if no one responds, you know, you know, like they don't care about what we just said, right? They're not jumping at it.
0: Right, right. I, I, think- use the
1: analogy, I use the analogy of like ponds, bait, rods, right? So are we fishing in the right pond, right? Like, is this the right body of people? Is Do we have the right rod? Like, do we have something capable of catching a marlin? Or is this like a little trout rod? And then am I using bait that they're going to bite at? Right. And so a lot of times people have like the rod, they look at the pond, like, let's get this, but no one's biting at the bait. And it's like, okay, let's figure out what bait these people will bite at at least going zero to one.
0: No, that's so fantastic. And I love that. I literally just thought about that example the other day too, but I think it was more along the lines of how to find it to using that fishing example as a finding a job. But I think there's so many parallels between finding a job and finding people to, to, um, to do business with. It's all about finding the right fit and where you're actually going to fit in there even if you're yep. the best angler, if you're it, like in, in a bad environment, like, you know, trying right. to tie it back to business, like nobody's going to buy, if you don't have like no, f- there's no fish in this pond right now because it's polluted, right. The the yep. economy is polluted. We're, we don't have, nobody's buying these things unless it's necessary. Right. So there's, there's so many different ways in there. And I think it's really important on, um, trying different ways of fishing too, right. To keep the, keep that example going. Right. Um, there's all different kinds. You could use spinner bait. You could use um, a net, right? Or like, but it's so important to try different things because you can't just put all of your money onto this one lure that's going to happen because that's just not smart. Why, why are people, the other, the other portion too, it's like on the segmentation, it seems so obvious, right? It's like, we need to find out what is the actual pain that we solve as a product? What do we think? And how does that relate to the people that we're talking to? right? In yeah. my B2B space, we're talking to, you know, there's like five to 10 decision makers when we're, depending on deal size, right? And company, yeah. and whatever, right? However, if you're talking to somebody in RevOps or somebody more on the technical side of things, they don't care necessarily as much as somebody who would care about hands-on and customer success doing something, right? So there's so many different nuances. And I think it's really important that we're, that we're highlighting, like, there's no one size fits all message, so right. can work with somebody right. like that. You need somebody who's going to come in
1: like Kellen to really, not not just tell you that, but show you how to fish. Right. Right. Well, that's one of the things I tell clients too. Is every single deal I say, look, if you're just as happy for me to just teach you literally everything I do, like I can just do that. Right. Like work with us if it, you value the fact that we'll do the effort. But if you just want the strategy, like I can explain it. Right. Because there's not magic to it. And I think the other thing I run into a lot, people identify a pond they want to fish in and. It's sort of like they have a product, there's this pond that they want to fish in, and sometimes you, you know, you take 500 people of this pond, you bring their offer to them, no one responds, right? And to me, a lot of people in sort of the like sales world are like, great, what, you know, how do we adjust the copy to get these people to meet with us, right? And like things like that, they're really obsessed with like a copy to me, the the bigger signal there is like 500 people saw, you know, we sent four emails each as an example, 500 people saw our offer like four times and didn't bite once. If there were 2000 potential impressions of which no one like bit to me, it's not, how do we change the copy? It's like, are we fishing in the wrong pond? Like, do you think you want to serve these people, but do you not? And, or If you wanna serve these people, you might need to be a completely different thing. Like it seems like they don't care about this, right? And I think that's something that can kind of be glossed over in like the sales world. Is like, there's just these real realities of like, we can't force a market to accept a product. And so all we can do is sort of like share these ideas to it. And if you use sort of, if you use techniques and sort of language that you know accurately portrays that in a way that is like sort of palatable to people, Sure, you can micro adjust to sort of optimize campaigns, but fundamentally, if you're just seeing nothing, that's the signal. Right. And a lot of times, aren't accepting that,
0: right? And I, I think one of the big things too is like really knowing it, as we start to wrap up here, which time always flies when we're when we're we're chatting. Man, um, I think the the really important thing here is you no know, doing market research and knowing what's actually going on, not only just in in different industries, but um, within those specific people, like. Within each persona, it within each industry, there's different nuances, right? That, like most RevOps leaders right now are trying to do tool consolidation. Like, okay, we know that. But if we're talking to somebody in RevOps who's focusing on A, B, and C in this industry, then we know that they're more likely to be focused on A, whatever. The more specific we get, the more we could relate and where we could get people to trust us. Um, Somebody I just saw on LinkedIn, I don't know if you know JC Pollard or not, not, he just went to, um, he was uh, one of the leading AEs at Gong and now just switched over to Tropic. And I saw a post um, when we're recording uh, from him this morning, talking about, um, hey, now that I'm talking to CFOs, please let me know any CFO that you know to talk to, not to sell to them. And he said, yet, which I loved, Um, but- But it was like, I want to get immersed in what the pain points are of my customers. Tell me everything. What what does a CFO do? What is their problems? What is the biggest, what would be the most helpful to them? And it's when you take a big step back from it, everybody gets nervous about CFO or whatever. They're just people who are trying to solve business problems, much like anybody else that we have that, that we're talking to. Right? Do you have a problem in your in your business? Do you have a problem in your life? No. No matter what, where you actually might have a problem, it's hey, I have this problem, and I'm trying to find an effective way to solve it to achieve A, B, and C. And I thought it was really, I thought it was really cool that JC was was like, hey, I really want to focus very hard on talking to these people and know that. What? Yeah. Why is that important for you, or how do you include some of that back end research to know what's actually going on in that
1: industry, or make sure that we don't have zero is going up on the scoreboard yeah i i strong endorse that strong endorse number one strong endorse number two i don't think zeros are inherently bad uh like the way i would put it is there's so there's two sides of this research right there's the theoretical side of i'm going to talk to these cfos and they're going to tell me what they care about right And they're going to tell me what they would respond to right and that's great and it's important it's foundational reality is when rubber meets the road and you start sending these messages and that, in my opinion, there is always a disconnect between the two. So I'm a big fan of using your go-to-market as a diagnostic for sort of where, how much you're resonating with the market, right? So that's number one. It's like, I don't think we should be trigger shy. I think it's like, get out there, get after it, get these messages in front of people, start seeing what's happening. The only times that's not the case, like super small to you know, like there's, there's circumstances and I acknowledge that. Um, to go back to the research question, I've actually become a huge fan. I'm not the world's biggest techie guy, honestly, but dude, chat GPT, you can do some amazing research with. And some of the ways I do that, one default one is always asking, like, I, I so again, I do market, then persona, then pain point. So typically I'll run a bunch of things, search or like, uh, you know, queries, like, what does this mark you know how does this market look at this like situate not my solution situational factors what are the main drivers what are the metrics they're tracking who are the people involved where the department's affected by it like what is the decision-making criteria typically like you can do crazy amounts of like very theoretical like um abstract sort of questioning on the market and then what do cfo you know what do cfos inside of you know public software companies care about most in terms of blah, 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 blah. And then again, and so I think doing a lot of that, I think ChatGPT is an incredible tool to do that basically. I know Jordan Crawford talks about this a ton as well. And uh, I, I think he's just spot on. I have seen that when I go do, there's been some really cool, I'll give an example, I'll give away some sauce. Um, so one of the things we did is I, I'm working with someone who's like a, there's are essentially compliance consultants without getting too specific. And so we're selling a lot of like security type personas and what we're doing is we're like ingesting their tech stack with built with, we're sending that into ChatGPT, and we're having ChatGPT look at all of the tools on their website and then make inferences about different categories of information security tools and potentially what sorts of frameworks they might be compliant with. And then in the copy, we're calling out these specific things and what the tools do, how they're using them in order to sort of like position with these hyper technical regulatory and compliance people in order to sort of go from what a lot of salespeople are, which is like an abstract idea to like, I saw you have this in order to do this, guessing that's a piece of this compliance framework would it be useful to, you know, and then inserting our offer, which I won't get into. But basically you can do incredible things by just leveraging like, Chat, you don't need to know the answers to things. You just need to know like interesting sort of correlative questions to draw between two things. And you can start getting like incredible insights.
0: Yeah. No. And I think that the, I mean, and that's a whole nother conversation of the the uses of AI and, and ethically and using it with from a uh um, like a security perspective. Like there's so many different things you probably should and shouldn't do with chat GPT. One of the big things though is the research and the ideation and brainstorming and you using that for at least to get you. In the same ballpark, in the same range of what you're talking about. So people understand that, hey, this person's a CMO for 20 years older than I am, um, yep. which isn't true. But you get the point of when, when you're one of those early SDRs, like people have been doing the job longer than you've been around.
1: So yeah. able to get some of that insight and that background to say like, hey, I have a understanding. I had it. a thought too. I had a thought on something I want to share because it's something that I just remembered is another like tactical thing I do with ChatGPT that I think is really useful that I don't see a lot of people doing is so you do your research, right? So you use it like, what do CFOs care about? What do CFOs care about in terms of this solution? Like, what are their headaches? Whenever you come up with what you believe, the next thing to do is take what you believe, feed it back in and ask, what would a CFO in this type of company object to about this? And so you take your understanding that you think you have, and then you also ask for like the opposite side of it. And that will always strengthen it. So you start to be able to go, you know how if you're to say for salespeople, like, oh, it's so hard to prospect. And like a salesperson hearing that is like whatever. But if you say, hey, it sounds like it's really hard to prospect, but I know that there's a lot of tools out there where you can use LinkedIn and make it really easy, like as an example. And so that would help show like I'm not just pretending that like you're falling apart and you need me and I'm saving you. But it shows that I sort of have this like balanced understanding of the situation you're in. And that I'm not like puffing up the pain point sort of to make my solution set look more attractive right right because you can manipulate that
0: easily as well but it, but what it comes down to is if it's relating to their world if you're making a a, a hypothesis or at least a, 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 an informed inference on what's going on in their business even if you're wrong that's okay because they're saying well no it's actually not that but or maybe a little bit but it's really more of this then it doesn't yeah. matter what question that you asked for. Now you're getting into the meat and potatoes of what they're actually looking to do. And I think it's really smart to be able to take um, in building your objections in like, at least it gets you probably 90% of the way where you need to go. So at least you have some type of um, informed answer while you're doing that. Dude, this, is, this has been unbelievable, Kellen. Final question I love to ask every single guest. If you were teaching a college 101 class based upon all of your previous life and work experience,
1: what would you be teaching and why? That's such a good one. I think it would be aggressive outbound of people you want to talk to on a general level, not just B2B sales, but like the idea of if you're really good at scoping out, I want to connect with certain people for certain reasons. I think the willingness to like take that outbound, I think that's the thing I would teach because it's like, this is how you can go get a job. It's how you can go get a mentor. It's how you can go learn a new skill. It's how you can go, you know, make a friend with someone that you think is really cool and that you wish you could talk to. And so I think the willingness to be, you know, it's kind of like a a guy approaching, you know, like someone approaching a partner at a bar, right. Where not everyone wants to do that. And the person who has it in them to just be brave and just walk up to people, strike up a conversation, inevitably that person's life, I would propose is going to be better in a lot of ways because they're not going to let certain uh, potential like awkward situations get in the way of them pursuing the things they want. It doesn't guarantee they'll get it just like sales, but I think spiritually it feels better to be someone who's good at understanding things you want, putting some sort of effort into getting after them and then letting the outcomes be what they may. I think that's what yeah, that
0: kinda of, when when you were saying that it kind of it kind of reminded me of um I think it's Teddy Roosevelt, Man in the Arena. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with that pretty much that, and I figured, I figured you would uh, for anybody in the audience, I'm going to completely butcher it as we're wrapping here, but um, it, it's essentially like, I would rather be the person who's out there and doing it than be the person who stands on the sideline and be one of those people who is, um, you know, too timid to, I'm trying to look it up here as well. Um, if we fail, at least fails who's daringly great so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who have never known victory nor defeat. So I think that there's no better point to a uh, better spot to wrap up this conversation as well. Kellen, where can people learn more about you and everything else you've going on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best place. So my name is Kellen Caseberry. You can find me there. I mean, we can drop that in the show notes. And then if you want to check out my website, it's klyacquire.com. Um, hit me up if you have any questions. Like I love connecting with salespeople. I love helping people. I'm not someone who's just looking to like, hawk my service like i really like serving people helping people win in sales so I, I love to hear from people
0: and he's a g having so much experience in the leadership and fractional and gtm space he has a wealth of information has seen a lot of different organizations how they work and ultimately he's just a great person to chat gtm with as well so um so uh, i'm giving giving kellen some kellen's time there as well as well so um kellen thank you so much man thank you dude this is awesome Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your day.